At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The state of stocks and whether a rough August is a precursor now of an even tougher stretch this fall. The Investment Committee debating your money and joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, Jason Snipe and Shannon Sakosha. A check on the markets. Dow's down 130. Uh, pretty much the lows of the day there. S&P's down near six and a half. NASDAQ was strong. Uh, not so much right now. One quarter of one percent. It is green. I guess we'll take it. Uh, Steph, retail tough, right? Macy's, Dick's Sporting Goods, ugly. We're going to get to that later, so let's not do it now. Mm-hmm. Banks slammed. Mm-hmm. We're going to do that later, so let's not do it now. <laughs> the 10 year, okay. the highest since 07. <laughs> we can do a little bit of that now. Uh, because my big question is the slog in yeah. August that we've been dealing with, the precursor, as we say at the outset, for what's to come. Yeah. Well, seasonally, this is not a great time for the markets, August and into September, right? Um, Year-to-date gains, we've had huge gains, 15% in the S&P 500, 30% in the NASDAQ. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a bear steepener happening in the bond market, right? Rates are rising, um, especially on the long end, which I think is surprising a lot of people. We just overall have uncertainty about the Fed, certainly with regards to Jackson Hole on Friday. And And then, like, September, there's no earnings, right? So then we're, like, hostage to the macro. So I would not be surprised to see kind of volatility. Maybe we see a little bit of a pullback. That's normal. That's fine. But I got to point back to the economy, and the economy is hanging in pretty darn well, right? I mean, we talked last week about the 5.8% GDP number from the Atlanta Fed. I don't know if we're going to end the quarter there, but we're probably going to end the quarter something like 3, 3.5%. Mm-hmm. And that's what's been the big surprise. And it has led by the consumer. And I know we get these bad headlines today with regards to a couple of companies, yeah, but it hasn't I mean, been negative know, across the board, not Scott. Yet. Not, not yet. yet. And that's because jobs are still strong, wages are still good, and services is still picking up the slack. So manufacturing, on the other hand, is mix for sure. But we talk about this. The PMIs are bottoming, Scott, and I want to own that part of the market when you have depressed PMIs. I don't really want to buy industrials and manufacturing names when you have PMIs in the 50s. So right now, you're still in the 40s, but we're making progress there. And anything tied to onshoring, anything tied to aviation, that's really where you want to be. Are we thinking, Jason, that what we've witnessed in in August is is just the start of, of what could be a dicey fall? Or, or not. I mean, just, just because history suggests that, you know, it, it, it can be doesn't mean it will be. Right. You know, the adage sell and may go away doesn't work every single time, obviously, doesn't come to fruition. So what about now? Yeah, no, I think Steph makes some great points. I think seasonality, to your point and Steph's point, obviously plays a key factor for sure. Um, I think going into Powell's speech on Friday, there, there are strong cases for bear 
and bull cases. And I think he's got to really stroke the line. He's got to be neutral in his speech. Obviously, we look to last year and, and the speech that he made, and, and clearly the markets didn't respond well. There was a sell-off there and, and moved on to October lows, and then we sprung up since then. So I think he's got to really strike a hard balance between the dovish and, and, and hawkish commentary and really acknowledge what has happened, because we have seen some growth in in obviously inflation numbers have come down. There's the consumers doing well. The, the economy is hanging in there. So I think he's got to acknowledge that, but also acknowledge that, hey, we need to tame inflation, keep it down for longer. Yeah, we know, Shannon, that, you know, rates have have made the market a bit uneasy or at the highest levels, obviously, since 07 on the 10 year. Um, Barclay says, you know, maybe you got to get beyond 5 percent on the 10 year to get some real upset within the market. Yes, it's been volatile and it's been uncertain and edgy, the word that we've used, but maybe you got to go beyond five on the 10 year and then we then we get real. What do you think? Well, I think interest rate reversion is obviously the biggest threat that we have right now, particularly with multiples that have, you know, frankly been extended, you know, coming into this market. If we go back to the beginning of the year, we were looking at really two forces for growth that would push the yield curve higher on the long end, and that was the U.S. consumer and the Chinese recovery, and we haven't seen that growth. However, now there's expectation that with China and Europe, we're really the best house on maybe a not so great block. And so as you're seeing that yield curve start to steepen, there's really, you have to go back to some of the points that, that Steph made about what are the catalysts for the economy to continue to perform well? What are the catalysts for top line growth, for nominal growth to continue as we see slowing inflation? I think that's the challenge. I think we've talked a lot about margin in the first half of this year. We've really been focused on the bottom line because the top line is held in there just fine because of the inflation we've experienced. And so now if we have to start worrying about top line growth, and looking for catalysts to drive that. And how does that affect what the Fed will do? I mean, you talked about GDP, Scott. That is not good news for people that are pricing in two or three rate cuts next year in terms of valuing stocks. Well, you say because the, the growth is too strong, which means the Fed is going to keep the pedal on the floor. They have to remain restrictive. How can they cut rates if we're expected to continue to grow? Because that means that we will have continued growth. We will have stickier inflation. And wages, as we saw in these labor deals that we've experienced over the last couple of weeks, they are not being pushed down either. Well, we need to get to a point, though, where we stop even talking about projections for rate cuts and feel confident enough as an investor class that we know we're done with hikes. Absolutely. And I don't think that, you know, everybody's quite there yet. <laughs> For many of the reasons that Steph says, like the economy's still strong, you could make an argument that, you know, the Fed, some will make an argument the Fed's not restrictive enough yet, given the strength in the, in the economy. So, Josh, I, I turn to you, which is why Marco Kalanovic over at JP Morgan suggests there's just com too much complacency. And he says perhaps the risks just have merely not been realized yet. Doesn't see any upside from here into year end. Good chance the equity markets move meaningfully below our year end projections in the interim. So what, what say you? I mean, I definitely think that there's the potential for that. We've had like if you if you think about the average year in, in the market or even the average good year in the market, we've already had it. So what you know, what is the fuel? I kept hearing people say uh, in, in the spring uh, wait, till, wait till you see earnings. They're going to trough and the expectations. The earnings maybe did trough. And actually, 
uh, expectations slightly rose. It didn't matter. It didn't help. You lost 5% in the S&P in the month of August. Way worse. Russell 2000, 8%. So earnings were not a positive catalyst, even though we had a pretty good earnings season, all things considered, right? People were looking for much worse. You didn't get that. People were worried about uh, guidance for the second half. Um, you, it was not negative, by and large. Uh, but it also didn't help, and that's that push and pull. Uh, I think. I think. Uh, let, let's look, let's talk about existing home sales. There's a huge multiplier effect in the housing market. It is really important to a lot of publicly traded companies and their earnings, um, and it's bad. Existing home sales dropped another 2.2 percent in July. They are down 17 percent uh, versus uh, the, the same period of time in 2022, year over year. Uh, median existing home prices, which is not helpful, rose another 2%. And last week, 30-year mortgage rates hit seven and a quarter. This is not great. It's not great for the consumer. It's not great for the overall economy. So it, it, there are definitely some cross currents here that I think could put us in a position where we've maybe seen the best we'll see for the overall S&P 500. That doesn't mean there aren't opportunities in individual stocks and sectors. Uh, I actually think that there are some areas of the market that could have a good second half, even if we get nothing out of the index. And maybe that's the better conversation. Well, let's 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 continue the conversation uh, and, and use you as an example of that with a new buy of yours, okay. which is Arista Networks, A-N-E-T. So it's an information technology company for those who, who don't follow it that closely. P.E. forward of 30 times. You've got an intraday high for the stock on August 1st. So give us the read on why this was on your list and, and high enough that you decided to do something about it. It's a trade. I've had it on my radar. I've watched it go up 20, 30 points. It's, uh, it's driving me crazy. Probably the worst rationale for pulling the trigger. I wanted to own some ahead of uh, NVIDIA. You know, Arista is an AI play that... Not a lot of people are fully aware of the extent to which they're going to play a huge role in the, in the build out of, of the AI infrastructure around the world. Um, but their top two customers are Meta and Microsoft. And you could buy as many NVIDIA chips as you want. You cannot execute anything uh, in terms of AI at the hyperscalers, the cloud uh, infrastructure level, if the components aren't talking to each other. And so this is uh, routers and, and cloud ethernet and networking. Um, it's way sexier uh, Cisco is a good way to think about it. <laughs> so Arista is one of the few companies that really no matter who wins the AI wars, you're gonna need their equipment in place. And uh, it's not a cheap stock, it's 30 times forward earnings. So the bet really here as an investor is that uh, the degree to which they're going to benefit from the cloud infrastructure build-out is not fully reflected, and that they can do, you know, 18, 20 percent uh, uh, earnings growth over the next three to five years. I think it's possible that they can, and that's how you back into the valuation today. Um, but it's high beta. I don't think anyone should follow me into it. I could change my mind at any time. It's, it's a trade right now, not an investment. I hear you. It just makes me think, Jason, as to whether as we look ahead to NVIDIA, which is going to report earnings tomorrow, and the stock hits a new all-time high today before pulling back um, a little bit. Whether you know, we think investors have squeezed all the juice, so to speak, out of that stock for a bit, yep. and it's time to look at other plays that play into the story at least somewhat, like Josh Fines in Arista, 
right. and you got to get a little more broad and a little more creative rather than the Magnificent Seven because they've done so yeah, much. Absolutely. I mean, I would agree with that 100%, Scott. I mean, the stock is up 200 plus percent. You know, they're going to they're going to report tomorrow. The guy they got it four billion above consensus and the stock popped 25 percent in May. Right. So for me, as I as I look at stocks like Nvidia, I look at stocks like Apple. Apple obviously has had a very rough month, you know, trading down 10 percent. I think Nvidia is going to be very solid. I think the quarter will be very strong. There's a lot riding on this from a tech perspective. Um, but I do think it's the opportunity to take some off the table like a lot of players have done in Apple and others, right? So I, I think this is an important time. This seasonality has played into it, yes, but it's also some profit-taking in tech. So, you know, Shannon, what about that idea that, you know, we've made the argument, too, that, okay, we've, we talked about the 10-year, we just did, that the market really can't find stability until the 10-year stabilizes, right? The beginning of earnings season, which, you know, I thought Josh made some interesting points here, that, yeah, earnings were better than feared, but nobody really had on their bingo card that you would have a meaningful rise in the 10-year between the, the start of earnings season and, and today you were at, you know, 382, now you're at 432. Mm -hmm. All right, so you've had a considerable rise in a reasonably short period of time in the 10-year. Apple's rolled over a bit in the last couple, year, in the last couple weeks. Mm -hmm. That's made the markets uncertain, which is why now the pressure's really on NVIDIA. It better deliver. You've got to keep the narrative intact of what AI is doing. And now this is such a much bigger stock. It's a trillion dollar market cap. But this is the this is the last piece of that data for this narrative, right? I mean, what you know, to Steph's point, where, where do we go from here? We go into the Fed. We go into a CPI print in September that is likely to show a reacceleration of food and energy costs because we didn't see it for for July because yep. um, it was too soon. Uh, and so I think the other thing that you know what you're asking for is like where does the where does the market find that foundation that floor um, for this broadening out? So the other Yesterday's trading was really interesting because you saw Nasdaq rallied, right? But we didn't see anybody else participate. We didn't see anything else participate. And to Josh's point about the Russell, I mean, that's been range bound since essentially, you know, if you look over a longer period of time, about, you know, late 2022 and so, or late 2021. So if you think about where do we get that leadership, that broadening out that we felt was so necessary for this rally to continue, it, I'm having a hard time finding anything that distracts me from a, a softening consumer, certainly softening, student loan payments coming back online, which is going to hurt lower income households, China recovery, which is having ripple effects well beyond China now and the fact that they have not recovered. And so I think between the Fed with Jackson Hole, the CPI print, um, and a potential reacceleration of inflation, you know, it's going to be a difficult couple of months, I think, if you're trading at the broad index level. So, so are, were you surprised uh, by unit labor costs falling more than expected and productivity actually rising more than expected in the most recent report. And that feeds right into GDP, right? right. And so you can talk about the consumer and manufacturing like I do all the time, like right. all of us yeah. do all the time. Right. But productivity has been a problem and that actually could be the, the Fed's friend. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it, it certainly could be the Fed's friend. However, I go back to a point that Josh made about labor mobility. We have a problem that we cannot 
save, we cannot solve the supply-demand mismatch that we have from a jobs perspective without labor mobility. And I do believe that. So unless companies are planning to moving to, to moving their headquarters to where the people are, we're going to continue to have this supply-demand mismatch. We could get productivity gains, which is the, the really the thesis for why AI could be a growth driver longer term for the broader economy, not just for companies that are tangential to AI. But I think that what we have to think about is that that's probably going to take a couple of years, and we're still going to have these wage pressures. If you ask me who is in command right now, it's still labor. It's not corporations. Yeah. And as long as that's the case, we're going to have sticky inflation. So as long as rates, Josh, continue to go up, it may not be the single biggest determining factor what, what longer duration growth stocks do, uh, but it's going to be a weight. And I, just give me your read then on the importance that you think NVIDIA now holds tomorrow uh, because it's so identifiable with you. Um, and the pressure that must be on the market at large and, and that company to deliver something that the market deems to be good enough, good enough in what's been you know, the, the big pullback and then a pretty good bounce back. And where does that leave us? So I think the 10-year has been extremely important this month. And we have some research up at Michael Batnick's blog actually indicating that it's been the most important factor uh, since 2021 on a rolling 30-day basis. It, if 10-year rates, if rates are up, stocks are down and, and vice versa. It explains almost everything. Um, and that's actually been intensifying in the month of August. Uh, and it was, a, again, it was a more important catalyst on the market than earnings, which is uh, interesting. Let's talk about NVIDIA. This setup is very simple. You have incredible bullishness here. The Wall Street Journal did a piece talking about how traders are preparing for this. They're looking for volatility, but the reason they're all in the stock is not because they're bearish on it. So um, the bet right now, based on current options pricing, is an 11% up or down swing for NVIDIA by the end of this week. So if they report Wednesday after the close, we're basically talking about 11% between Thursday and Friday. The average move for NVIDIA after the last eight earnings releases is 7%. So traders are looking for something on the order of like 60% more post-earnings volatility than, than what's typical. Let's take a look at um, the, the analyst coverage. According to FactSet, you've got 50 investment analysts covering the stock. Almost all of them are bullish. The average price target is $535, which is about 15% over uh, where it is today. Um, one of these price targets is at 1000 uh, which is more than double for the share price from where it sits today. So there is a lot going on and a lot riding uh, on, on NVIDIA. The way that we see it... Um, this might be a cost of earnings story and it might be a supply demand story. So there's really two main things here. How much does it cost them to make the chips? We know the demand is unlimited. So we, we already know that as many chips as they can make this year and next, they already have it sold. So the question is, what is the cost of making those chips? That's one. Um, the second thing is gonna be, how much demand are we pulling forward from 24, 25 into 2023? And maybe so maybe if you're bearish, that's actually the real story is whether or not they're giving guidance out past 24 um, and whether or not you think they can repeat anything like what they had to say in the last quarterly uh, guidance. And I doubt that they can. So the push and pull here is dramatic. It's a very big story. 
It's not an obscure company. It's a trillion-dollar market cap. There aren't many of those. And I think the ramifications will be felt, good or bad, uh, throughout the NASDAQ. Let me, well, last thing, the NASDAQ, people don't even understand this. There's been a huge change in character in, in just the NASDAQ overall, and that's part of this setup. Only 1% of the components of the triple Qs are at a 52-week high. For all of August, it's been below 5%. The NASDAQ is below its 50-day moving average right. for now two straight weeks. Well, that's the longest streak since January. Which so is it's why, a very which, big change in trend. Which is why Jason, uh, Jason, Jonathan Krinsky points out that even as the NASDAQ has its best day, Jason Snipe, um, I was thinking of you. Uh, because you own NVIDIA, too. Yeah. Um, he has his you know, best day since July 28th. The advanced decline line was actually negative. In other words, more stocks were down than up. Right. It gives you a real good read into the fragility of where the NASDAQ has been. Now, if we look back and you say, okay, well, what are these sort of red flags where maybe there's some signs of excess and frothy environments? It's like, okay, an NFT goes for 40 million bucks. SPACs are all the rage. And then if you check off, you know, you go down the list, like NVIDIA gets a $1,000 price target. You know, it's a trillion-dollar market cap. The stock's up, you know, 1,000%, et cetera, and then it gets a $1,000 price target. Is that, is that valid? Like, we look back and we yeah. say, hello. Yeah, yeah. Of, of course it's not, in my opinion, right? And, you know, talking about it in, in NVIDIA, and I know we've already talked about it, but... You, and I think Josh makes a great point in just in terms of how much the demand has been pulled forward already and, and how they can kind of grow into what that is. And, and to his point on the cost of, of the chips and how, how they can build them and inventories and all of that. Listen, I mean, data center is supposed to be up 86 percent quarter over quarter. Um, gaming is supposed to be very strong. They'll, we'll see what goes on with China um, and automotive, you know, from, 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 from their perspective. But I think... It trades at 177 times. Exactly. Uh, but there are other technology companies and AI companies 100%. that you can earn, that you can own, yes. right? Yes. I mean, I'm talking my book, but I own Broadcom. It trades at 21 times. But their customized AI chips are going to go from 10% of total revenues last year to 25% next year. That's pretty good growth. Plus, they're very diversified. They have $9 billion buyback. Uh, $18 billion in free cash flow. And again, it's a reasonable valuation. Lamb Research, same thing, if, especially if you think the WFE, Wait for Fab Equipment spend, is actually is bottoming. It's already troughed. And right. Lamb already raised well, it a little bit. It goes to my WFE. point a little bit that, you know, you, you maybe you're, you're feeling in a good position because you, you're not going to be on the edge of your seat so right. nervous, so to speak, about what NVIDIA delivers. Now, mm -hmm. The market at large is going to be watching yes. very closely because it probably matters more tomorrow than it does ordinarily, just given what the stock has done and where the Nasdaq has gone. But you don't have to be, you know, on every tick right. because it's not your name of choice. But it'll bring down all the semis, of course, right? If it's a bad reporter, it'll drag everything up. But I would be more confident in buying. In fact, I want to buy more Lamb Research after Applied Materials report last week which was actually pretty good, especially on DRAM. I just get, I'm just more comfortable, Scott, on valuation. That's my, that's, my, that's my mojo, right? Like, that's my process. I'm growth at a reasonable price. And I have a technology stock that I added, and we're going to get to it in, later in the All show. All right, it's a good tease. Uh, here's another tease. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, our chart of the day. Dick's Sporting Goods on pace for its worst day ever. And Steve Weiss is calling in to talk about it because he owns it. We'll talk to him next. 
Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Chart of the day is an ugly one. It's Dick's Sporting Goods on pace now for its worst day ever. Stock's down 24%. Earnings missed. Revs missed. Comps missed. Steve Weiss missed. Weiss, you join us now on the phone. What, what, I just want your reaction before everything else. Yeah, well, look, uh, a few reactions. First of all, I did detect some some glee in your voice as you're saying Steve Weiss. No, I didn't. I really didn't. I, I, I'm no, serious, I though. I Like, what's up with this, Weiss? This is one yeah, of your so favorite, look, favorite names. It, it's my only retail exposure. And, uh, you know, the last few shows when asked about it, I said, you know, my target's about 150 or so. Um, frankly, this is just a, this is a, you know, a, an era that, that I made. So you go back to the old adage, uh, bulls and bears, uh, you know, make money, pigs go broke. So um, that's what happened. The stock was close enough to my price target. Uh, I thought management would be able to execute. They've held their, actually, margin to end sales post-pandemic, one of the few retailers to real online retailers and bricks and mortar to really do that. Um, so I got a little piggish. I, I was thinking the stock would, would trade well, that seasonally it's a good quarter for them because of outdoor activity, and uh, and I was wrong. So uh, may a couple my part, really no excuse for owning it, given where my price target was and how well the stock did for me. So what about but, now? You know, what about now? Did you, do, you, do you buy more yeah. on the dip? Do you sell it? What, what do you tell now, people? This isn't the type of market, I think, where you buy on the first day that it goes down. I do believe the stock will, will go higher. If you look at the history of it, it's had periodically not drops of this size, because as you correctly point out, it's the largest decline ever. Uh, They took down earnings by about 10% going forward. A third of that is from shrink, which is, you know, the the, uh, coordinated theft of these stores that you're seeing are crushed retail, even though this is the first time Dix has mentioned it, frankly, on a call. Look, here's what's encouraging about it. What's encouraging about it is... Let me stop you for one second. Uh, Forgive me. This idea of of shrink... um, Mm -hmm. You know, the retailers used to blame everything under the sun, you know, here and there. It's like everybody would blame the weather. You know, you know where I'm going. This is yeah. like the kitchen shrink. <laughs> um, 
Now everybody all of a sudden is, is mentioning it. You just said their first time ever. Do you, yeah. do you take that at face value? Do, do you, do you, were you suspect of that at all? What's your read on that? My, my read on it's accurate. They attribute a third of the miss to, to the shrink. And, and we know it, it, it's really an epidemic out there that gangs come in and they just, you know, take what they want to take. Regardless of the retail at well, I've seen the video. I mean, everybody has seen yeah. the videos of, of all of that. But I mean, because it's the first time that they mentioned it, it's the first time they've experienced it. I mean, I, I just am trying to no, get a real I, no, good I, handle I, on where we're at um, on the yeah, general I, retail landscape, where it seems every retailer is now citing it on their earnings call or in interviews on, on this network. Yeah, but I, I think it's accurate. So, so I don't know why they hadn't mentioned it before. I can't imagine this case of first impression, but maybe more severe than it's been. Look, this is not the place where you really want to do that, right? I mean, you can't steal one Air Jordan or one, you know, Hoka because you know you've got you still need the other shoe. And when you look at the other stuff they have there, sure, our baseball bats for little league, they're minimally two hundred. That's expensive. But the other stuff, no, I get that they're going, but they're doing your target where the goods have price point that may be less. So it is a factor. Look, the, uh, the, the, the bright spots here are that they say that margins, and the stock sold off initially, I believe, not only in the mist, but also on margins were down a couple hundred base points, gross margins. They say margins will be higher going through the end of the year. So part of the miss was attributed to outdoor, which they would not quantify on the call how significant that was. But that's not new news. That was an issue last quarter as well. And the new store formats, that soaked up some of the margins as well. But they are going gangbusters. So I do believe the stock will recover. Whether it will recover to 150 or not, I don't know, uh, over the next six months to a year. But I just don't think you sell it down here right now. I hope management took the numbers down. And they're pretty good. Uh, generally, uh, so this was this was a real miss, aggravating for the reasons I mentioned. Sure. But I'm not selling any. I'd look to buy more at uh, when it stabilizes. I understand. I appreciate you making yourself available, Weiss. Uh, I know people wanted to hear from you today, yeah. um, so we we appreciate you calling in. That's Steve Weiss. We'll see you back okay. on the desk uh, in the days Bye. ahead. I'm sure. Weiss, Great. On yes. Morning, good. Thanks, Scott. Yep. All right. Take care, bud. Um, Macy's too. Oh. Macy's ugly too. I'm looking at stocks down near 13 percent. You don't own it, right? But Maybe no. you have in the past, but I'm sure you have a view of this space right now. I wouldn't I mean, touch a department store at all. Not not at all. I mean, they're cheap and they're cheap for a reason. No Target. I have Target. Well, I kind of what view that as a, it's not it's not a Macy's. And I actually thought the Target quarter was better than expected, better than feared. And they had a great operating margin and gross margin beat handedly. I mean, Target, we talked about last week, even margins uh, were uh, 4.8 percent versus 1.2 from last year. Gross margins were 27 percent versus 21.5 percent mm -hmm. last year. So inventories came down 17 percent. Discretionary inventories came down 25 percent. They're doing all the right things. Certainly they're seeing shrink as well. And the same store sales were negative. But they are making progress in terms of profitability. That's what I like. I did not see that at Macy's today. Uh, Lowe's. The shares are higher there. Yeah. Jason Snipe after what Depot delivered last week when the stock was down. We're about lows. There's a nice looking chart today on an otherwise red day. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like the quarter. I really like uh, Marvin Ellison just as an executor. They're, they're doing well. They're reducing expenses. 
you know, top line was pretty much in line. There was a beat on the bottom line. On sales, online sales growth continues to grow. And traditionally, they're not a pro player, but their pro segment is starting to get some exposure, starting to grow. Um, and they're, they're really starting to take some market share, so I really like this one. Shan, retail in general. I know you were, you were talking in the break about this, this issue of the shrinkage and, and what these retailers are not only witnessing, but what they're, they're saying on their calls. Right. I mean, they're talking a lot about shrink, which is clearly, you know, that speaks directly to margin. But I think there are problems with top line as well. I mean, if you look at same store sales for Dick's, for instance, um, you know, you saw the, the, the markdowns that they had to take on their camping equipment. I, I think when I read the retail reports, you saw this in the Macy's report as well. Um, they're really trying to figure out what this third phase of the post-pandemic consumer looks like. And they're trying to, to stock accordingly. We had a huge, you know, run up in in purchasing for a number of different activities. But, you know, Scott, when we look at the hotels, we look at the airlines, that's where you're seeing the strength. People are still out there spending on experiences. And these big box retailers in particular, they're not nimble enough from an inventory perspective to be able to react to that. And so we're going to see this lag where in six to nine months, they will have reset their inventories. And, you know, hopefully they're setting up for this next phase of a consumer that's more, probably more value focused, really focusing on price and value for that price. And, but I think it's going to be a couple more, perhaps, you know, difficult quarters for some of these retailers as they try to figure out what consumers want today. All right, let's get the headlines now with Bertha Coombs. Hi, Bertha. Hey, Scott. A federal court hearing is underway to decide whether Texas has to remove a floating buoy barrier on the Rio Grande. The Justice Department is asking the judge to issue an injunction ordering the removal of the buoys and to bar the state from deploying similar tactics. Texas officials installed the barrier in an attempt to stop unauthorized border crossings as part of Governor Greg Abbott's Operation Lone Star. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried pleaded not guilty late this morning to a new indictment charging fraud and conspiracy. He was led into the courtroom wearing tan prison-issued clothes and ankle shackles. It's his first appearance since the judge revoked his bail earlier this month. And Pakistan's military is rescuing people from a cable car that is dangling hundreds of feet above a canyon. Officials said eight people were trapped this morning after a line snapped while they were traveling to school. Footage shows a crowd watching as the helicopter rescued the first child, but rescuers warned that the mission is complicated because of gusty winds and fading light. We really wish them well and hope they get everyone off safely. Scott? All right, Bertha. Yep, thank you, Bertha Coombs. All right, coming up, our call of the day. It's another credit downgrade for several banks. The stocks are all down, or certainly most of them are. We'll find out how the committee is playing that. We'll do it next. A couple, break, uh, couple minutes, we're back uh, right after this. Now is the time to embrace a new wave of workers. Every day, your team grows younger, more digital, and more drawn to entirely new ways of working, which means you need flexible solutions to connect them where business gets done. T-Mobile for Business was born digital. With America's largest 5G network, we can make it easier to work together from virtually anywhere. Your team may be changing, but with the right tech, it can be more productive than ever before. Get started at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, we're back first. Moody's now S&P Global downgrading its credit ratings and outlooks on several U.S. banks, uh, citing tough operating conditions. Our call of the day. Uh, financials are the worst performing sector today. Josh, I mean, you only have J.P. Morgan, but what about the group? 
How do you see it here, given this news about just the environment, the downgrades, and how we should be thinking about these? I've been very pessimistic on this group, and I will continue to be. I think you have a couple of fortresses, and then you have a few areas in the XLF that have nothing to do with the, the deposit business. Things like uh, BlackRock, Berkshire Hathaway, um, some of the credit card companies that are in the XLF. But anything bank-related, just explain, please explain it to me. The last 15 years, you got away with paying nothing to depositors, and you could use that to make as much money as you wanted. You could do bonds, you could do asset management, private equity, you could lend to rich people against their, their stock and bond portfolios. That has changed. There is a funding cost. Um, so if you believe that there are five rate cuts next year, okay, then buy the banks. I don't. Uh, I think we're probably in a higher for longer unless there's a recession. But in either case, you're not going to want to own companies that have as high a, a cost for acquisition of, of customers as, as the regionals, for example. So it's, look, these are good companies. It's just a terrible environment. And in my experience, when a good company meets a terrible environment, the environment wins. So that's, that's why I'm not looking for opportunities in the sector. I'm not optimistic. And I think there are going to be more problems, not less, the longer we see rates stay where they are. Steph, you want to counter that? I mean, you, well. you've got Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, Schwab, which is another story in and of itself today. But good companies, terrible environment. Explain why you want to own the banks. Yeah, Josh is looking for answers. This kind of news is going to take all of them down. Um, I do not want to own any of the regional banks. I've said that. I've been very clear about that. They are losing market share. They do not have the excess capital that the majors have. Uh, and I think as the cash sorting slows, which is actually what Schwab said at their last call, we'll have to see how that plays out. But I think as, as cash sorting kind of slows, that's actually going to be a better tailwind. And I think net interest income was the bright spot for many of these banks the majors net interest margins were under pressure so we have to see a steeper yield curve what that does to the margin side of the equation but they're not out of the woods and they're going to be under pressure when you get these announcements I just think there are there are winners in this space so Bank of America uh, is capital markets wealth management and technology a technology powerhouse they've spent 10 billion dollars in the last decade on technology Morgan Stanley is totally capital markets in my mind they do have a great wealth management business too it has a four percent dividend yield yield and trades up 14 times. And then American Express, you know, I mean, 80% of their business is fees. So we don't have to worry about net interest margins, income, that sort of thing. And I do think that their algo of 15 to 17% revenue growth this year and 10% over the long term is very firm. And, and I have a lot of confidence in that, uh, especially as they pick up share from the millennials and the younger generation uh, of people. All right. We'll take a quick break. On the other side, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. Dow's down 125. Halftime is back in just two. We're back. Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator, is here with his midday word. Uh, retail and financials are obviously ugly today. Yeah. And an interesting little rollover for NVIDIA midday, too. Yeah, probably not uh, bad that it's not at a full rolling boil going into the number, though who knows what can happen between now and then. I, I think that the consumer discretionary piece, it's consumer cyclicals as well as financials, gets at the crux of why yields making new highs matters. To me, it's not about the valuation math that applies to growth stocks. It really is about can the economy 
handle rates at this level, getting there at this speed. The textbook way that maybe you'd get a little bit of a low from this 5% pullback, I think, would be a bid comes into bonds. You have a, either a safety bid or just, you know, this move runs its course in the short term, and then you get a little bit of a relief trade off that. As it is, it's been a very sort of, uh, I don't know, I guess, unimpressive uh, bounce yep. attempt the past couple of days. Josh was talking about, you know, earnings being, you now we're out of earnings season. Yeah. Really, once NVIDIA is done, we're kind of done. Um, earnings were pretty much better than fear. Sure. The reason why you didn't get much of a bounce is because of rates. And, you know, since the start of earnings season to today, you're up 50 basis points yeah. on the 10-year. I would say that's probably true. I mean, rates and all of the concerns that maybe rates bake into them. Uh, yeah, I would argue, uh, besides the fact that we were up so much going into earnings season, sure, I, mean, sure, I think sure. all of that comes into play. I, I think there's a way of looking at the year-to-day chart and saying, yep, pretty much following according to the path we might have expected based on uh, longer-term patterns. But I do agree with that. And, uh, you know, just the little unanswered uh, Fed and, and the final earnings questions are in there. We did have huge upward revisions in terms of the number of companies with upwardly revised earnings relative to declines. That happens during earnings season. That should filter its way into the longer-term consensus that makes the market stay supportive uh, if, in fact, we can get past this little rate scale. Right. We'll see what we do uh, over the final stretch, and then we'll talk yep. to you again for your last word in closing. Bell. It's Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator. Grade My Trade is coming up next. Let's do Grade My Trade now. All right. Stephanie Link, you're up first. UPS, Shannon in Oklahoma, started a small position in that stock at $179 in June. How would you grade it? Well, I like the stock. I own it. I'm sorry that you're down on the on the trade. Um, I would uh, average down because I do think that numbers have now been reset, tied to the labor contracts negotiation. And I think seasonally is set up for positive uh, positive momentum into the end of the year, holidays and e-commerce and that sort of thing. Um, and in the second quarter, their margins beat, packet, U.S. package volumes beat, and pricing power was abundant. So I think margins set up good for the second half of the year, so I like it. Okay. Jason Snipe, CVS. Edgar in New York bought it at 79.50. Why don't you grade that trade? Oh, this one's been a frustrating one all year. Um, you're down about 15%. I'll, I'll give myself a D on this one. Um, the news of Blue Shield of Bank of America cutting them as a PBM is really not great for the stock. Obviously, the stock dropped about 8%. It's down 28% year to date. I do think the Signify and Oak Street. Uh, acquisitions will be accreted to the stock in the long term. They have been paying down debt, so I still will hold this one. All right, Shan, to you. Uh, from Sam in Missouri, I hear a lot of discussion on EEM, right, regarding emerging markets. What's your take, and what do you think is the best way to play that? Well, emerging markets right now, the, the story is really challenged by the fact that we've seen such a lackluster um, growth outlook for China coming into the back half of the year. Uh, although China is only is about 30 percent of the EEM, and so there's also significant uh, impacts that, that a lack of Chinese growth has on other emerging market economies, particularly input producers. And so I would just be cautious here in terms of how you express ex this exposure. There are pockets of opportunity. It's a wide universe, but active management over passive here. Okay, Josh Brown, uh, Tony says uh, bought Nextera Energy at 69 bucks. Uh, what about long-term support here? You think it's gonna hold? What do you think? I mean, the stock's a dog this year, and that's why I've been adding to it. It's like uh, utilities are the most out-of-favor sector other than real estate in the market, and it's not hard to understand why. The six-month T-bill, which carries no risk, duration, or credit, is yielding, you know, five and change percent. 
why would you take a shot on a utility yielding less um, that, frankly, could be up or down 20 percent? So that's what's happening here. It's just a uh, lack of interest in the sector. Most of the utilities look bad. This one looks particularly bad. Um, but over the last 20 years, it's been compounding at 15% a year. Over the last 10 years, closer to 16% a year. It's a growth company with a high yield. They're growing the yield. Uh, they're growing the growth side of the business, too. It owns the largest utility in the country, Florida Power and Light. And I just think that if you have patience, when this sector comes back into favor, NextEra will be one of the better performers. So that's why I own it. And I wish you all the best of luck. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for that. Up next, we're tracking more trades. Steph just made two new buys, and we'll tell you about them next. All right. We are back. All right. So at the very top of the show, you said you had a new buy around technology, right? Yes. IT. Now, mm -hmm. we've waited 55 minutes to find out what this is. That's one heck of a deal. Like the suspense. All right, it's My goodness. CDW. Yeah. CDW Corporation. Yes. Why? Uh, well, it's a value-added reseller with a $1.4 trillion total addressable market. They have a diversified customer mix, enterprise, small, medium businesses. Um, they're changing their mix to software and services. That will help margins. And also, if you believe PCs are bottoming, which if you listen to to Intel and AMD, they are. These guys have 30% exposure, so I like that story. Plus, it's pretty cheap, 20 Okay, times. so there's uh, number one, stock getting a little bit of lift. Uh, Elanco, Animal Health. Animal Health, you know I'm a big fan, right? But I'm, Zoetis trades at 34 times forward estimates. I was going to ask you why this and not Zoetis. This one trades at 14 times, and okay. it's down 32% in the past year. Um, it's a spinoff from Lilly, and you know I like spins, right? This happened in 2018. So they've had their chance to kind of fix things. I think they, uh, they will. They have a great pipeline. Five new products in the first half of 2024 should help revenues in 2024. And the stock, tr again, trades at 14 times. Shan, you know, take on either of these? Yeah, at CDW, uh, you know, that that company, to, to Stephanie's point, I think the small business, uh, small medium-sized business exposure makes a lot of sense. They also have an, uh, a very good inventory management system, so they're really, uh, they have their finger on the pulse in terms of what these small and medium-sized businesses need and when, um, and so they probably are in a better situation than the companies that they're buying that product from because they have that inventory management. All right, good stuff. Uh, another quick break. And we finish up with Final Trades next. All right, closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern. Gabriela Santos from J.P. Morgan, Lauren Goodwin, and Rick Heitzman will be with us as well to talk some tech uh, as we head into NVIDIA tomorrow and just what the landscape looks like, VC world and, and just about everything else. So I hope uh, you'll join me then. Shan, a quick final thought. You're thinking a lot about Jackson Hole, huh? I am, and I think the messaging may be a little bit different than we thought a month ago, just given the reacceleration in some of the food and energy costs and, and the student loan situation that I discussed earlier. So I think the Fed may may come out a little bit more hawkish than maybe the market is anticipating. You know what? And the move higher in rates, maybe the market's done a little bit of the Fed's work for it. Perhaps. So maybe he won't be because he doesn't feel he has to be. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna keep the narrative. The intrigue. The intrigue. We'll see you in a few days' time. Uh, Josh Brown, final trade. Sticking with NEE in an out-of-favor sector. Okay, thank you for that. Jason Snipe. I like Stryker here. Procedural volumes and med surge continue to go steam. 
All right, and Stephanie Link. So Zimmer is down 4% because the CEO is leaving to go to the, the 3M healthcare spin. That's really positive for 3M in the healthcare spin, but I don't think the stock should be down this much. Utilization rates are, are really recovering nicely. Their margins are also expanding, and the stock is down 10% now on the year. Yeah, all right, we'll see what happens there. Down uh, 4%, as you said. The uh, Dow itself is down 134. We've been watching rates, which are at the highest level yet again since 07. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.